kuahinga he tōtara nui o te waunui atane. A great tōtara tree has fallen. Inga mana inga reo inga kārangaranga maha o te motu nau mai ki te farinei a te ahikā. Ko Justin Murray ahau. Ko Maraia Rakraku tēnei, you're with Te Ahikā, our weekly show here on Radio New Zealand National. Ko nā kaupapa e whaiake nei. Coming up... Earlier this week, a true champion of te reo Māori, Katarina Te Heikoko Mataira, died. Her tangihanga was held at Ohini Waiapu Marae in Rangitukia, East Coast. We pay homage to Katarina, he wahine nako nui ana ki te reo Māori, with a mashup of archival recordings. People in each area should be allowed to develop their own kuhanga reo as they see fit, as they think it will suit their people and their children. Uh, there were two ideas presented. One was, or at least one of our members said, our queers are not sure that they want a kohanga reo that is entirely in Māori. They want a kohanga reo that uses the two languages. So there was some discussion on te kaupapa nei me haerenga mea katoa i rote te reo Māori. Faced with the choice of walking while injured or becoming a prisoner of war, what would you choose? Mariah is with Battle of Crete 28th Māori Battalion veteran Arthur Midwood, remembering a choice that became a test in endurance. Well, I said I didn't want to be a prisoner, so I found out what, uh, that we were going to vacate the island and uh, we were going to live from uh, where, we, where the ship was going to come in at Sparkia and uh, I knew exactly where the, I was going when I was heading in the right direction. <laughs> and you just started walking? Yeah, that's right. And in keeping with guests from Rotorua, Justine meets brother and sister Arapita and Taria Tahana, doing their bit to support the next generation of Māori leadership. I think we're um, we're creating a Māori wheel. <laughs> so it's looking at kind of these things already happen in other forums. Um, it's just identifying, recognising the need to have a mechanism for our rangatahi to be able to feed into Taro's development. And like I mentioned earlier, it's an, it's an exciting time for our iwi. That's what's coming up today on Te Ahika. Since our first Te Ahika in 2006, we've profiled Māori from all walks of life who contribute to Te Ao Māori in some way. And earlier this week, one of the more prolific died. Ngāti Parau, writer, academic... Co-creator of the Māori language learning course Te Atarangi, composer, kohanga reo proponent and all-round te reo Māori champion Katarina Te Heikoko Mataira died in Hamilton on July 16th and was buried at Rangitukia, East Coast, days later. Today we pay tribute to the richness of Katarina Mataira's life with a range of Radio New Zealand archival material. Any talk about Te Reo Māori and the name Katerina Te Heikoko Mataira will inevitably come up. Throughout her lifetime, the Ngāti Parau woman, who died last weekend, aged 78 years old, was at the forefront of Māori language activism and an example of taking life experience and shaping it to ensure the revitalisation of Te Reo Māori. 
Through the virtue of being born at the times she was in the 1930s and being brought up within the hearts of Ngāti Parau, Ruatoria, Matāira had what would be termed a very Māori upbringing, where children were brought up within a village setting, tikanga Māori was practised in everyday situations, and te reo Māori was the first language. It was this grounding she would take into her life, first as a student at St Joseph's Māori Girls College in Napier, onto Ardmore Teachers College in Auckland, and all future endeavours involving te reo Māori. It was while teaching at Northland College in Kaikohe a few years later that Matāira started writing books, which was spurred on by her decision to teach te reo Māori to students. Up until that time, the education department policies were clear. Māori assimilation into Pākehā culture would be eased through te reo Māori not being spoken at school. Consequently, generations of Māori were punished for speaking their language. Deciding in 1956 to teach te reo Māori meant that not only were there barriers within the education system to contend with, there were also no resources to teach with. Matāira got writing. This was the beginning of what can only be viewed as part of a remarkable series of revolutionary acts, and it wasn't happening in isolation. Māori through the country were taking action to revitalise te reo Māori. Periods defined by teaching positions throughout the country followed, but it was a stint in Fiji and seeing how that community were revitalising their language were the first seeds of what is one of this country's most successful te reo Māori learning language programme, Te Atarangi, was sown. Collaborating with renowned Ngāti Pro composer Ngoi Pefairangi on her return to New Zealand would eventually see Te Atarangi cemented as a language learning resource. When Katsurina recalls the day when Ngoi Pefairangi was thinking of a song to write about the Māori language, it was at Turanga Waiwai Marae. Everyone was sound asleep, and Ngoi wanted to know a familiar tune that Katsurina had been singing that day. So, with everyone asleep and with Ngoi working well into the night, Together, Katsarina with the tune and Ngoi with the words, they wrote the song Whakarongo. While Te Atarangi is aimed at adult students, at the other end of the spectrum is Te Kohangareo, early childhood centres or language nests for children under the age of five. In 1982, Katarina Mataira was at a hui talking about the significance of Kohangareo. What's important to remember is the inaugural class of Kohangareo had only opened the year before. Engari ki hai rato ni atamiriki na ki te kura he pāke hāke e ra e noho mai ra. Ka tāe a rato? Kaori. Are tāe a rato. Anā, e whainei te tono tuarua, the Department of Education be asked to actively recruit native-speaking teacher trainees in preparation for bilingual schools when they are required. It's no use waiting until then, we have to do it now. We have to do it now. We are aware that the training colleges are cutting back. The numbers going into teacher training are being knocked back. There are fewer Māoris now going into teacher training and probably no Māoris in Mōhiwana Kitereo. 
So we have to look ahead. Mehemea ka haere hangai tenei kaupapa, ka oe whakaaro a pae inoe ta haere tenei wā, ka pehea a muriaki, a pehea a muriaki. So it seemed to our group that some forward planning needs to be done if this kaupapa is to continue ake ake tonu. Kare hoke mutunga nera. Kare he mutunga. The first one, a kaatsi pae inoe tenei ina hoki. Kuputa tērā i a koutou katoa. Nā kā mutu tā mātou i konei. Kia ora rā wātura. Eite tau toko mai koutou ki tēnei. From 1982, Katsirina talking about the role and philosophy of Kohanga Reo, which has carried on to this day and seen thousands of children move through the Kurukaupapa Māori and onto Wharewānanga. We've already mentioned how composing waiata was yet another dimension to Katsirina, and one of her more well-known waiata is what you can hear playing. It was after humming a tune all day with an earshot of Ngoi Pewhairangi that inspired Whakarongo. This friendship and collaboration continued until Ngoi's death in 1985. <laughs> In 2001, Te Wakatoi, the Māori Arts Board of Creative New Zealand, acknowledged her lifetime contribution to Te Reo Māori with Te Tohu Teke Teke a Te Wakatoi, Te Wakatoi Exemplary Award. Last year, Te Taurawhiri Te Reo Māori, the Māori Language Commission, presented her with the Taku Toa Taki Mano Award, given in recognition of an individual's efforts to Te Reo Māori. More recently, Katarina Mataira became Dame Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her service to the Māori language that joins a list of her achievements, including the prestigious Linguapax Prize, which is awarded annually to linguists, researchers, professors and individuals in acknowledgement of their outstanding work in the field of linguistic diversity and multilingual education. As the awards kept on coming, she kept on writing and actively participating in the revitalisation of Te Reo Māori and the championing of Kaupapa Māori. Katarina was instrumental in developing not only those early language nests or kohangareo, but in all educational systems of Māori teaching. It was within Kurakaupapa schools that she helped develop the Aho Matua philosophy. This philosophy differentiates a kurakaupapa Māori school to that of a mainstream school in that it features key components in which students and kayako understand. Their cultural and learning methods, examples are te ira tangata, respect for one another, tōku reo, tōku ohoho, Māori language is the essence of the kura, and te ao, or the world, shaping the student's physical, emotional well-being. It was this that Katsarina helped to develop. So, in other words, not only is it mine or our generation that have experienced the work that Katarina has done, but there are children from Kuhangareo, Kurakaupapa Māori, Ngāwhare Wānanga, Te Kurareo, Panekiritanga, Māori artists, writers and readers that will be left with their legacy for years to come. Kaiti te tautoko mātou o te ahikanga ki a koe.
Now, we mentioned the Lingua Pax Award that Katarina received in 2009. This next segment featured in Tiahika that year. Ana Tapiata is interviewing. We leave the last words with her husband, Junior Mataira. We have uh, eight children, uh, ten great-grandchildren with another one uh, arriving next month and uh, 21 grandchildren. What do you hope that you and Te Heiko leave your mokokuna? The most central thing of all is our hope that they are going to be good people. And so how have you tried to instil that in your in your children and your mokopuna? Because it doesn't just happen. <laughs> I guess it's a matter of showing them that you love them, uh, encouraging their parents and their cousins and siblings to look at them in that way as well. And uh, and it happens. Any other thing you'd like to say at this time, at the papa? <laughs> I guess if if in the end they achieve as much as their grandmother Te Heikoko, then I would be delighted. And I suspect if they achieve as much as you did, she would be. <laughs> Thank you. Kia ora, nei te mihi ki te whānau whānui, a Katarina te heikoko mataira. And special thanks to Ngā Taonga Kōrero Radio New Zealand's Māori Archive Unit. And you can re-listen to that kōrero. Just head to radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Driving 60 kilometres these days is no sweat. It can take under an hour, dependent on the road. So thank Tauranga Tsurotsurua or Napier to Waipawa. Imagine it's 1941. It's the middle of a war. You're badly injured and you have to walk that distance alone to make it to safety. And it's not a straight route on roads either. There's a mountain range to cross. Well, that's what it was like for Arthur Midwood following the 1941 Battle of Crete. He had a choice, either become a prisoner of war by staying put in Suda on the island of Crete or walk to meet allies departing for Egypt from Safakia Harbour, well over 60 kilometres away. I caught up with Arthur Midwood last month after he returned from Battle of Crete commemorations. We visited Rotorua Museum where a film featuring the 28th Māori Battalion veteran, his colleagues and locals from the area plays as a tribute to soldiers of that time. And as we walked through the rooms and halls of the former bathhouse, it became apparent I was with a bit of a legend. Whereabouts were you born? Hmm? Where were you born? I was born in Whakatane. In what year? Uh, 1980. So in 1939, you were uh, well, 21. Yeah, I was old enough to enter the war. Yeah, 21 in 1939. I signed up. Yeah. And where did you sign up? Yeah, there was nothing going at the time, mm. and uh, things were a bit hard, you know. Times were pretty, wasn't much work around. and uh, was, Get some new clothes. Yeah, well... The uh, thing was, uh, was an opportunity that 
couldn't resist and be in the army. Is it what you expected, Arthur? Hmm? More or less, yes. You fought in the Battle of Crete. Yes. That was in 1941, and you were injured there. Uh, yes, I had the bullet through the chest here. That's on your right-hand uh, side of your went, chest. It came out the back of my arm, but it went straight through. So I was uh, able to walk, but there was uh, no more fighting for me. Like, you know, I had that... I had to make my way to the uh, across the island to where they were embarking to catch a ship and get get back to Egypt from Crete. And you were by yourself when you were doing that? Mm-hmm. I was right up by myself. It's quite a long walk and wounded. It takes a long time. How did you become separated from the rest of the unit? Oh, well, they were fighting. I, I was used to I couldn't do fight or anything, and they were still engaged in battles with the Germans. And, but, uh, and they had yeah. given you a choice, hadn't they, mm-hmm. that either you would become a prisoner of war uh, oh, yeah. or you could leave? Yes, well, that's it. I didn't want to be a prisoner, so... I found out what uh, that we were going to vacate the island and uh, we were going to live from uh, where, we, where the ship was going to come in at Spark here and uh, I knew exactly where the, I was going when I was heading in the right direction. <laughs> and you just started walking? Yes, that's right. And did it take you a number of days or oh, hours? I, I, or? I can't remember now how long it took. Maybe you can remember to... how hungry and cold you were. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> you were just determined to meet yeah, that boat. Yeah, I determined to get to that boat and get off the island. What would have happened if you hadn't met it? Oh, I suppose I could have ended up as a prisoner of war or something like that. And, and, I determined not to be and just carried on. Now, Arthur, you said that you were injured um, on the right-hand side of your chest and that ended fighting for you. Yeah. But it didn't because then Uh, you got uh, injured again on the other side of your body. Yeah, well, I shot through this blade. You're just undoing your <laughs> buttons now to show me. Let's see the... Is that the the thing there? Oh, okay. You still carry the yeah. where the bullet went in. It went through there. So obviously on the back of Coming on your the back, back, back there must be an exit wound. Yeah. Oh, that's back of my armpit there. Yeah, it came out. Were you able to get full use of that arm again? Oh yes. Quite, quite good. Yeah. And what about when you were injured on the other side of your body? Oh, I got over all my injuries in it. And, uh, pretty, I was able to play football. When, <laughs> <laughs> when you came back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were part of the Battle of Crete. Yeah, yeah. And recently you've returned from a reunion over at Crete. Over the last couple of weeks, you've been yeah. in Crete? Oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. And is that the first time that you've been back? No, second time. <sighs> but, uh, 
these memories when you get there and look at the where I the distance I covered to I can't I believe it, you know. I was pretty pretty crook with the wind, you know. And, uh, and, uh, you know, just kept going and got there. Young man's there. determination. Yeah. That's all it was. Determination. Yeah. So then I go back there and on the trip back follow the road down. Gee, he was crushing mine. <laughs> I didn't realise how far it was until Oh well I knew it was a long way, but So if we put it into hey? could it have been like walking from Rotorua to Auckland? Oh no, not that distance. It could be say uh, Rotorua uh, to Hamilton. To Taupo or something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. It's still quite a, quite a distance to cover yeah, when you're yeah. injured and yeah, walking. Yeah. Arthur, do you think your life has been shaped by those experiences you had uh, as a young man? Uh, well, um, uh, later in life, uh, well, after that, I was entitled. I had entitlements that I wouldn't have had before. Like I. I I, I took on a trade. I, I became a tradesman, a, a carpenter, and building, building trade, and all those things I, I I wouldn't have had because I had very little education. That's very little schooling. I was pulled out of school when I was very young to look after kids that don't be, belong to us at uh, Murupara. The what happened to me when I was young. My father, he was a pommy, and uh, he had uh, a mighty murupara, a fellow called Jack Hall, who was married to a Maori woman from Fakatani, I think, or something. And uh, they had kids. He was a rabbiter, and their eldest daughter was about 12, 13, 14, 14, I think, at the time. She was going to Hukarere College. My father took me out of bloody school to go and took me to Murupara to look after this, these kids to help because the daughter was wild, the daughter was educated. I, I had no, very little education, and boy, that effect affected me badly. But, Oh, the years went by, and in the army, well, that made the difference to me. I learned a hell of a lot from the army. And, and, uh, but it had uh, an emotional toll, didn't oh, it? Oh, yes, yes, it did. And when you came back, Hani Manahi came back? Yeah, not, not the same time. I came back on my own. I... I walked out of the walked out of the fighting area and <laughs> kept going, <laughs> and until uh, I got to Sparky, where they ship come in at night, and I managed to get onto this ship. Now, Arthur, there have been descriptions of the Battle of Crete, yeah, and we heard it in the film that we just saw, yeah, where there was an olive grove, yeah, and. Germans were down one side, 
Māori Battalion were down the other. Yeah. And then I could just imagine the Germans heard this. Probably seemed like an otherworldly sound yeah. as they heard the haka. <laughs> and then it's been described yeah, as a human tsunami yeah, as you rushed I, forward. I, I didn't hear that one. I wasn't, I wasn't there with me. But uh, they did perform there. The, 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 I was told about it later. I, I was on my well, after I got shot and put a, put a uh, field dressing on my wound. I took off. I just, you know, the war's finished with me because I had my arm in a sling and, well, and I'm, I'm getting out of this. <laughs> And then found out where they they were going to uh, vacate the island. Like the odds were too great. Was, uh, uh, found out where their boats were going to come in. That's where I went. I walked and walked and walked and kept walking till I got there. Yeah. Got on in the night. Night landing craft come in, pick up all the stragglers and. The, I got on the boat. Uh, that was the end of that battle for me, anyhow. And then from there, where did you go? Hmm? You went to Egypt? Oh, uh, later after convalescing and all that, and returning to, the, to our uh, unit and... Yeah, what was the next battle we were in? Oh, I can't remember that much now. Uh, you were in Takruna? Takruna, yeah. I was in Takruna, that's right. You um, arrived in Takruna after Hane Manahi had scaled. Oh, yeah. And was up the top? Yeah. 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 It's getting <laughs> sure. and then I got wounded again in the desert campaign. That was later after I rejoined the after I came out of the hospital and, and uh, I convalescent and I rejoined the unit again and and we were engaged in the Libyan desert to fight fighting there and and uh, I got wounded there in the Psalm. And I still got some shrapnel in back there from the shell sh- uh, that exploded close by. And the uh, shrapnel's still in my body. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, back in hospital for a while and uh, then joined the unit, and that was the end of the war. For, actually, we, we get sent home on furlough then, on leave. Of course, I got home and was never to go back again. <laughs> you tell a story in the film of how you were seated, you were, you were between Darkie Hall... Oh, in the trench. The and trenches, George Hall yeah, in the trenches, yeah. where was yes, that? Yes, yes, that was... Uh, uh, what's the name of that place now? Saloon was... Sparkia. Sparkia. Anyhow, the... Uh, there was three of us in the trench, and I was in the middle. Darkie Hall and Tata Rogers were on the, one on each side of me. 
And the splintered grenade um, landed on the back back of our transporter and went through Tata's back of his neck there and Georgie Hall in the head because the highest part of their body that was taken up. Killed both of them and I'm sitting in the middle and I didn't get hit. <laughs> Lucky. I guess when you replay those uh, things, eh? when you replay those things over your lifetime, you think yeah. life is all about luck. Yeah. Because many of the men who are depicted in that video we've just eh? seen yeah. were mate. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, lots and lots of them. All mm. gone. All gone. Down to the last now, I think. Yeah. Well, if I was uh, 21, I was uh, at legal age to join up, and I, I was one of the first we all joined up together. Mahale Manahi, Pinatimiho, myself, all there's a queue of us at the outside Tunahopu Marae, and uh, a big long table there, and Rangi Royal and somebody else, the recruiting officers were sitting there taking their names and agents and uh, yes I remember that uh, all my mates are gone Gee. <laughs> young men courage yes. who came back and had families of their own as you did yeah yeah lucky boy oh boy but you were lucky on a number of occasions yeah well I have been you know, lucky to be here look at me 93 now <laughs> <laughs> I never dreamed I'd be here in 93. Arthur Midwood. If you head to the Rotorua Museum, there are daily screenings of the film. Photos of Arthur and some of his fans, a whanau who recognised him at the museum, are on our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. And if you want to send us feedback about this programme, contact us at teahika at radionz.co.nz or you can always Facebook us. I'm Maraia Rakraku. I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahika. You might have heard that whakatauki on this show, Kapu te ruha, kahao te rangatahi. When an old net is cast aside, the new net goes fishing. It's a metaphor. It's really about the old people making way for the young ones to come through. And it's the focus of some serious planning for Te Pumautanga o Te Aroa Trust. It was set up following the treaty settlements representing 24,000 uri o Te Aroa. And one of those missions is the rangatahi, or youth input into Te Aroa. Uh, me ki ko matawhaura te maunga, uh, ko rotiti te moana, ko te kaituna te awa, uh, ko ngāti tamate atu tahi kawiti me ngāti hinikura ngā hapu, ko ngāti pikiao tewi, ko te aroa te waka. Kia ora. What's your role within uh, te pūmautango te aroa? <laughs> I actually don't have a role oh, with the Pumotago Tarawa. Your sister mentioned Tahana Limited. Yeah, yeah. So um, our, we've got a whanau company that um, does a lot of work in the area of Māori development. Um, and part of the reason that we're involved in this mahi now is that historically that we've run some leadership wānanga uh, for Tarawa and, and a range of ages. Uh, last year we ran a, a Tarawa Rangatahi Leadership Forum, um, and this is kind of a lead-on from that. And was that the inaugural leadership forum last year? Um, yeah, well, it wasn't part of a longer-term series of things. 
Um, but what's happening at the moment is that we're really thinking about how can we provide ongoing support for rangatahi. So we want to know how can Tarawa support the development of our rangatahi and how can rangatahi support the development of Tarawa. And um, until... Until now, I believe there hasn't really been a formal structure or a way for our rangatahi to feed into Tarawa's development. And it's an exciting time and an exciting future for Tarawa. Um, and it would be really useful for us to have rangatahi views in, in that corridor. In terms of the planning side of things, um, there's a rangatahi working party that we have. Uh, from a high level, uh, there's kind of two key objectives around the wānanga. One is around the rangatahi strategy for Tarawa. Actually, there's more than two. Um, so that's that's one aspect. Another aspect is to support our rangatahi in terms of their careers. Does that mean that you're working on the ground floor in terms of identifying your rangatahi leaders within the rohe today? Like sure. targeting specific schools or yeah, groups? Yeah, well, what, what we're doing is we've, there's a multi-pronged approach in terms of trying to attract as many rangatahi as we can and across the board. So it's not just about those who are demonstrating or have aspirations mm. around leadership. It's about all our rangatahi. Um, so we are we are working with schools to, to get rangatahi from the schools, but we're also tapping into some of the other forums where some of our rangatahi who have fallen out of school. Or uh, the other thing to mention is that this is the age group is 15 to 24. So there's also a lot of rangatahi who are now out of school, in university, in jobs. Um, and again, it's about bringing them in, connecting them all together and supporting them in, in their journey. Oh, so that's the age criteria? Yeah, 15, 15 to 24. 24 still rangatahi? <laughs> well, AIKI um, Ministry of Youth Development, <laughs> that's, that's their criteria. In fact, it's 12 to, to 24. 12 to 24. Yep. So it's a fairly fairly wide age group and some differing perspectives across there. But I think it's quite useful for them to be uh, connecting with each other because you have our, if you look at the upper end of the rangatahi, ones who are nearing completion of university who have some great learnings that they can feed into uh, ones who are 15 trying to work out what do I want to do, do I want to go to university. So it's a good opportunity not only to learn from uh, the speakers that will be there but from each other. Mm. Now, Arapita, you, you spoke earlier about uh, there are already some existing uh, support networks, such as the Rotoro District Council's Youth Council. Do you think that you're somewhat, um, are you reinventing the wheel? Or are you um, coming up with your own? I think we're um, we're creating a Māori wheel. <laughs> so it's looking at kind of these things already happen in other forums. Um, it's just identifying, recognising the need to have a mechanism for our rangatahi to be able to feed into Taro's development. And like I mentioned earlier, it's an, it's an exciting time for our iwi. There's a, um, a lot of positive things in terms of the future of Taro economically, socially, culturally, and we need to have a rangatahi voice uh, amongst that, the thinking, the planning, the doing. Kia ora koutou. <laughs> so we've, we're at the offices of Te Pumotanga and we've just had a few of the rangatahi walk in. They've got a working party uh, in a few minutes. Um, so Arapita, when you talk about the rangatahi having involvement into the development of Te Arawa, mm. what do you mean by that? Do you mean the input into council, the input into the organisation Te Pumotanga? Sure. I think um, what we're focusing on is their input into our Te Arawa entities. So there's Te Pumotanga or Tarawa, there's the Tarawa Lakes Trust, there's Tarawa Fisheries, um, and they all have a lot of development initiatives that are underway. So how do rangatahi of Tarawa get involved? Taria Tahana explains. Kia ora, ko matawhaira te maunga, rotuiti te roto, nā te pikia o te iwi, ko Taria Tahana hau. 
Kia ora, Taria. So we were just talking about, um, in terms of practically how how does um, the rangatahi, how, how is their voice heard from from their perspective to the development of te aroa? How is that practically applied? Hmm. Um, well, I think one of the things that uh, in this post-settlement mode that we're thinking about is um, how do, what, what do our beneficiaries want of us as their organisation? And obviously, you know, one audience is rangatahi. Um, so really the first step on this journey is to ask them, um, what do you want from us? What support would you like to see? And in the bigger context, we're talking about te tangata and our strategy. Um, already through this mahi, you know, we've seen that um, rangatahi are thinking about their careers, where they're going. Um, you know, they don't necessarily have guidance and direction to support them. So you know, that might be something that comes out of the hui where they say, you know, how can you help facilitate transitions for us um, into mahi, um, onto university, into the politics, you know, and so as an iwi, how do we support them in that role? Um, so, you know, the big difference is that we've now got some putia and we've got some infrastructure so that we can be there every day, whereas, you know, before you do these things for aroha and then, you know, there's, there's no kind of wheels to keep things rolling. So, you know, as I say, we don't exactly know how are we going to translate rangatahi aspirations, um, but the first thing is to ask them, mm. you know, mm. and, and that's really the beginning of, of this. Is Rotorua made up of a lot of um, population-wise rangatahi in this area? Yes, yeah, there's a there's a high rangatahi population in Rotorua, mm-hmm. and and so you've you've got the data to draw on that says okay, there's a lot of us in this rohe in Rotorua, so that's probably sets a foundation for some of these strategies that you're working towards. Yeah, well, I suppose to put some numbers around it, and don't quote me on this, I don't know if it's exactly right, but. Rotorua's population is approximately 36% Māori. Of that 36%, 50% are below the age of 25. So we're talking about a sizable chunk of our community. So the numbers work out to probably 12,000, 13,000 people. Mm. Mm. There hasn't been a real kind of formal mechanism or a, a criteria for you to be involved. We've just put the pānui out amongst our various networks and said, no, my my those rangatahi who are keen to, um, to help uh, prepare and plan for this and then we put the pānui out with the writer that it was really important that we wanted rangatahi to input into this and we wanted to make it relevant for them and it's it's been really useful for us who are probably a, a little bit kraua and a bit, of, <laughs> but a bit out of touch from um, <laughs> from what uh, what our rangatahi are thinking so it was important that we um, we had them there to correct us and <laughs> tell us where to go. Cause oh, hasn't it changed since <laughs> our day? Oh gosh, tweeting and Facebook and actually have you thought of, thought of those things? How to Technology is impacted on how our rangatahi are today versus 15 years ago. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think um, that's going to be one of the things that I believe will come out of the whole rangatahi strategy is where does technology sit in terms of supporting them in their lives. In terms of the actual working party, one of the initial ideas from them was to get a Facebook page up um, to promote the hui. 
and it's also been a mechanism for us to start asking Nagatahi about their ideas. So not only the working party are feeding into what should this look like, um, our rangatahi can get on Facebook, connect up to the page and say, I want to see this or I'm interested in this kind of career. So with the number of issues that Te Pumotanga o Te Arua and Tahana Limited are involved in, I talked to three Te Arua rangatahi. The question, what is the future of Te Reo Māori? Um, Proud of my reo because our reo is who we are. Without our reo, we would be no one, and without our reo, we would be lost. So that's what I think about that. Yeah, I agree with Rahira. Um, for me, like, because when I was at Boys High, um, I, I started, like, not losing it, but um, I just, I, I blame my teachers <laughs> at Boys High for it. <laughs> For for uh, yeah, not being not too hard out, you. not the proper ways. So um, but anyway, um, I'm up in Auckland now, oh, and okay. I'm 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 gonna I'm getting back into it probably. What I want to do is because I'm heading towards like the whole mainstream like the music industry. I wanna um like start speaking like the real properly, and then take it over like overseas and stuff as well like just get it because it's a beautiful it's so beautiful just to listen to and uh yeah i yeah i love it kia ora i think it should be compulsory as well for everyone because i mean you go overseas and they only speak one language so if you know went to france they only speak french i don't see why english is you know our, our or most of New Zealand's first language. It just sort of seems like you know, kuna tata tai finua, hati taki kari tenuinga e kororana ite reo Māori hoki. Um, and not only that, like um, there's actually not too many people that do know enough. I think about our culture and our tikanga and all of that would be. Um, I think. Things like that should be compulsory as well. Kia ora, Arapita and Taria Tahana, and we heard there from Rahira Bidwa, Sunny Bishop, and Tomairangi McRae. And here's a rangatahi from another part of the island, Anita and Matthew Gifford, with this week's Fagatoki. A gilda ko Matt Gifford DNA, Gunatska Hununu, Kitwaidwa, Gunatsuhu, Dewi Maori, Gunatsi Kukiairani, Dewi Otakupapa. Anei he Fagatoki, Mote Neida, E Tikana. Um mo tēnei wā pōuri uh, mō tātou e heke ngā tahi ana ngā roi mata i tēnei wā uh, mō te wehenga atu o tētahi uh, tētahi whaia o tō tātou reo uh, tētahi tanata e, e, e nāna i puipuake mai nāna i, I whangai mai uh, i nā kupu a tātou mātua tūpuna uh, nure reko tō tātou uh, whakatau ki kua hinga he tō tara nui o te wā nui ātāne um, a great Tōtara tree has fallen and we um, we recite this wonderful whakatauki in memory of, of, a, of a wonderful woman, a great woman um, in Māori dim whom we celebrate for all, all that she has done. Katarina, te hei koko mataira, uh, haere, haere, haere atura, moi mai rā. He rejoins us again next week. 
as does Dale Takitimu in Hone Papa, talking oil drilling and the position of their iwi, Te Whānau Aapanui, about it. And I'm with the musical Island Boys Barbershop Quartet, who placed second at the Barbershop Harmony Society Kansas Convention, singing their own rendition of Pō Atarau. He mihi anō ki nga kai rā wiki wiki mihini. He mihi tēne ki nga kai kōrero i tēne wiki, ki te whānau whānui a Katarina Mataira, ngā mihi aroha. Hoki mai hei te rarātapu, mai i o mātou o te ahikā. Mauri ora tātou katoa. Wakarongo. Oh, yeah.